Welcome back into the Pigskin Cafe. Today on the menu, we cover Oregon's head coach, Mario Cristobal, leaving to go coach the Miami Hurricanes and what that means for the college football landscape as a whole. Then we discuss the New Year's Six Bowl matchup that intrigues us the most before ending the show with some recruiting talk and answering some listener-related questions. Wesley, take us in. You're listening to the Pigskin Cafe, a podcast covering the wild world of college football. On tap for today are hot takes, controversy, and analysis on your favorite team. Pull up a seat and your host, Hampton Sipper, will be with you in three, two, one. And we're back. Welcome into the Pigskin Cafe. My name is Hampton Sipper, and I will be your host this evening, guiding you through a college football bowl preview show, along with some other tidbits here and there. And joining me tonight is my usual cohort, the Reddit extraordinaire, Chase Haney, and the correspondent at large, Graham Haney. Guys, how are we doing tonight? All right, we doing okay? Good. <laughs> I thought that uh, I thought that Graham was going to go, and I guess that we just had the same thought. So, um, <laughs> nah, man, we're we're doing well. Um, excited to be here, man. I, I think it's always fun to talk about college football. And uh, dude, I, I you guys said something in the last podcast that I think is so accurate, and I think Nick Saban has said this a lot that, man, when you've got the playoff, the the bowl games. Uh, just don't matter as much, and I, I guess this is kind of our effort to not uh, not just let that happen. Maybe we can contribute just a little bit today of um, looking into some of these really good football games. We have some really interesting matchups. I think that's what you have to look at bowl games is it's just uh, some really fun matchups. Graham, what about you? What's up? What's going on in Nashville? Not not a whole lot, but I, I will say this just about the quiet moment. I, I thought that the you know unwritten rule or unspoken rule was that if you were introduced first, then you speak first. And, Ooh, uh, got him. The reason why I usually speak first is because I'm introduced first and um, Hampton, I'm very disrespected that you would uh, degrade <laughs> me. You, I mean, you start off calling me a cohort. Like, what are we in? Like, <laughs> like hey, this isn't middle school science class. I mean, we are grown adults and, uh, I'm glad you said I don't. So I thought you were about to say something else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but besides the fact that uh, Hampton just you know disrespected me, um, I'm glad to be here, Chase. Good. Uh, you know, me and Hampton were on you know just yesterday talking some uh, college football. So I'm gonna be interested interested to see what uh you know your thoughts on uh you know some of the you know breaking news of college football is, and uh, you know going forward. The bowl season is, uh, you know, gonna, you know, be a nice table to look at. So uh, I'm excited to break that down with you guys. Yeah, man. And uh, Chase, I love the point you made about shining a little bit more of a light on these bowl games, you know, and the playoff kind of diminishing the importance of those because you know it used to be getting to a bowl game, getting to a New Year's Six game like a Rose Bowl or a Fiesta Bowl. That was a great year. And I think we've all said a little bit it's like playoff or bust. And we want to talk about these teams that maybe are not playing for a championship, but they're playing for a lot and, you know, want to cap off a really good season for themselves. But before we dive into talking a little bit about bowls, a quick 
um, note off the top about some coaching stuff before we talk about Mario Cristobal heading to Miami. And that while, you know, that's occurred with that this past week, um, right before we got on the show, um, earlier today, we learned that Jeff Lebby, offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, is heading to Oklahoma to be with Brent Venables and join that staff. And, real, you know, really quickly, I think that is a brilliant hire by Brent. Uh, Lebby has done a masterful job uh, the past few years at Ole Miss. Matt Corral, he's helped develop him along with Lane Kiffin. They've had one of the most high-powered offenses he's well thought of around coaching circles for being an innovative offensive mind. And I think having Brent Venables as the defensive mastermind and Lebby as that offensive prowess, and you put him with Caleb Williams, I think that's a deadly combo coming into the SEC if Caleb does indeed uh, intend to stay. Um, I think that's a home run hire, and I think – this might be a bold take. I think Oklahoma might be in better position now mm. with Brent Venables as their head coach and Levy as their offensive coordinator than they would have been if Lincoln Riley were still the head coach. Um, I think um, mm. great hire by Brent Venables, and I think it's going to pay dividends for them. Um, and you know, speaking with Brent, speaking of Brent leaving, it looks like Tony Elliott, offensive coordinator at Clemson. Maybe headed to Virginia. Uh oh. Maybe mm-hmm. headed to Virginia. So, ah. the Pat McAfee out. I think this is going to be interesting to see because Dabo has not lost either one of his coordinators since Chad Morris left, uh, I think, six to seven years ago. Tony Elliott has been there a long time. That has provided a lot of stability to that staff. And he hadn't been affected by the coaching carousel like what Nick Saban has to deal with each and every year. I'm very interested to see how Dabo responds to that, especially with him not having a great season at Clemson this year, and then you're losing your top two coordinators. And I think Brent Venables, he kind of solidified that defense and made Clemson the defensive juggernaut that they have been the past few years. So that's going to be interesting to watch. And then my final note is – Corey Raymond, defensive back coach from LSU, is leaving to head to Florida and to join Billy Napier's staff. Now, this is interesting for many reasons. One is Corey Raymond is widely regarded as one of the best cornerback developers and recruiters in college football. He's been at LSU for 10 to 12 years, and throughout that time, he's developed guys like Derek Stingley, uh, I believe Patrick Peterson, he coached him at one point. Greedy Williams, um, Tredavious White, uh, a lot of guys that are very talented that are playing on Sundays now were developed by Corey Raymond. And for Brian Kelly to come in to LSU and apparently not fight hard enough to retain him is a massive, I mean, I, pe- I guess he wasn't part of his friends and family um, like uh, you know he said at that LSU basketball game. In that Caleb Crawdad <laughs> accent, I do declare. That's right. Um, but uh, that is a massive move. Um, it's going to shake up recruiting in the state of Louisiana. And now Florida, with Billy Napier, has a direct pipeline to that state. So mm-hmm. great hire by Billy Napier mm-hmm. um, to get a guy with experience recruiting Louisiana. Along, you know, he has experience. Napier does himself by coaching the Raging Cajuns for the past three to four years. But 
what an incredible hire by him and to me a big loss by LSU. So those were just some quick um some quick coaching notes off the top. Um and Chase, I want to start with you. Um, you can give your reaction to any of that. You don't, or you don't have to. But I, mainly, I want to briefly touch on um, what happened earlier this week. We got reports on, I believe it was Friday, that Miami, who had yet to fire Manny Diaz, was in negotiations with Mario Cristobal, who at the time was head coach of Oregon, to, um, you know, be their head coach. Miami was trying to recruit him to be their head coach. Well, you know, he gets curb stomped in the Pac-12 championship game by Utah for the second time in like four weeks, and he doesn't really want to talk about it. Uh, shout out Logan Faraby. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that one's deeply rooted. That was <laughs> yeah, that was a deep cut. Um, Don't so, want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so on Monday, the news comes out early morning that Miami has decided to hire Mario Cristobal, bring their guy home. Mario played college football in my at Miami. He coached there for a little bit, and he is now their head coach. He's now out recruiting. And, Chase, I'm going to start with you, and then I want you to kick it to Graham. What do you think of this hire, and what do you think this hire means for the state of Florida and the state of college football? Yeah, man, I think there's a lot to unpack right here. Um, but but I, w- I want to say something really quick about just the Clemson uh, movement, man. Um, hey, is it DJ Uolonga Bye Bye or something like that? Like, man, everybody's <laughs> getting out of town. It sounds like up there, man. It seems like they met a messed up on one of their five-star recruits. Um, I, I think there's more to it. I don't think you just put it on one guy. But, uh, man, I – Hampton, I enjoyed your point and, and, and thought it was well thought out about the way that Oklahoma might be sh- being shaped up going forward compared to what Link. It, it, it kind of felt like maybe Lincoln Riley had kind of peaked at Oklahoma. Agreed. Like he could never have a good defense, but his offense was always going to be good. He might win a few Heisman trophies, but uh, they, they just couldn't put a team out there that was physical, that could, that could go up against some of these big, um, SEC teams. So I, I like your point. I think that it that time will tell, but I think that if you wanted an offensive guy who could just handle the offense and, uh, and you know, then uh, remind me of uh, Venables, right? Brent. Yeah. Brent. Venables. Yeah. Brent. Um, he can take care of the defense. I think this is a good move. I think that's what you've seen Baylor do of uh, Aranda's not over there trying to call plays. You know, he, he's like, I'll take care of the defense, but I need somebody who's an offensive guru. So um, it's going to be interesting, but to get to your uh, man talking about Cristobal, Graham, I want to ask you real quick, just just a good yes or no question. Um, do you feel like they did Manny uh, Diaz dirty here? Is that even a question? I mean, it, if I, it, it was it was awful. I mean, I've never seen uh, a coach get played, you know, harder than. Oh. Manny Diaz did. I mean, the guy's a fiddle right now. I mean, the hey, strings well, have all popped off too. F- funny you say that, Graham, because I-, I think that there might be some people at the, uh, and I don't know if it's the University of Temple or Temple University. Good point, that, Chase. That yep. uh, that thought they had a head coach until uh, all of a sudden he decided to stay at Miami. I-, I think that this is the world of college football. I don't, I don't think you can pick on just Manny Diaz here or just the University of Miami. Um, I-, I mean. I think we just see this. This is somewhat how business is. But Graham, you got a really good point of just 
we've we have not seen this weird like like they wanted to hire Cristobal, and I think everybody knew that. But like <clears throat> it almost felt like they were going to hire Cristobal before they fired uh, Manny Diaz, which is just like hard to ma- wrap our minds around. But um, maybe what goes around comes around. That that might be what I have to say to that. The the thing that I'm going to kind of uh, in what I'm having to say on and then pass it to Graham. Uh, man, this move to Cristobal, like Cristobal to Miami, uh, yeah, you're coming home. But, I mean, I thought that Mark Rick was coming home. Then you got the Mark Rick protege and Manny Diaz. I, I, I'm not buying any of that coming home stuff. Um, and Hampton, like you said, this his Oregon teams have always – like they've played well until they get a team that's going to hit them in the mouth. And then they just kind of crumble. They, they do not like playing hard physical football – that's just not the kind of teams that he coaches, but I think that he can recruit, and, and his success is, is going to be determined on how well can he recruit Miami. Um, I, that's that's what it's going to come down to. I think it's really that cut and dry. Um, they got to start stop having five star guys walk out of there, going to Alabama, going to all these other programs. Um, I think there's enough talent to kind of go around, but they've got to start keeping their guys at home. If you think that uh, Cristobal can do that, and and Diaz couldn't, you got your guy. But it really, it simply comes down to just that, and and maybe he can bring in somebody that's a defensive coordinator or someone like that who can really maybe uh, instill some violence in their team, where they're physical, where they enjoy hitting, um, because they keep playing that. They, I mean, like you said, played Utah uh, twice, and it they just kind of curled under pressure, and uh, they 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 don't really like getting hit in the mouth. So we'll see. I think it really is as simple as that. I think that. Uh, Seems like they got their guy. I hope that they're happy, but uh, I thought that they also had their guy, you know, the past two coaches. So uh, we'll see. This one's interesting. I I think that I'm – I don't know. Maybe he gives you one or two more wins each season, but maybe I'm being too harsh. Graham, what do you think? There's a lot of ways you could go in this Cristobal hire, but uh, what do you think? Does does it make sense to you? Was this too much of a wild card, too much drama? What do you think? They got a new athletic director too. I mean, a lot of moving pieces here. What do you make of all of it? Yeah, Chase, I know me and you talked about it outside of you know the podcast, and um, it, it was just such an, a strange situation that everyone in the world knew that Miami wanted Cristobal, yet they still hadn't fired their coach. <laughs> and so it was all coming down to the fact that if Mario Cristobal accepted the job, that Manny Diaz would be out. But if he didn't, Manny Diaz would still be there. And that was just such a, a funny situation because the reports were was that like, you know, like two days before they, you know, fired Manny Diaz, he, he was out on the recruiting trail. He was, was. You know, visiting yeah. players in their homes, in their schools, trying to get them to commit to the program and the atmosphere that he was building. And then what happened? Does those, you know, obviously those promises are empty now, but if you're Miami, that kind of hurts you on the recruiting front and in an aspect of, we're not going to fully trust whoever we put in place. Like you never know who's going to be leading the helm in a year, in two years. I mean, heck for Miami, for uh, Manny Diaz, you don't know who's going to be leading the helm in two days. And so for recruiting aspect, that has to you know, hurt recruiting in the fact that, you know, obviously they're buying into the Miami, the Manny Diaz program. I keep trying to say Miami Diaz, um, <laughs> but it's close. Um, that program, but if you're those commits, like, you know, are you going to come listen, you know, when Cristobal, ha- Cristobal has to talk because you've already listened to Manny Diaz and they canned him. And so that's just such a, uh, just an odd situation. 
Um, but I think that Miami is going the right direction with this. I think Cristobal is, you know, probably the right decision. You know, shout out to Coach Hayes, but this Miami team is soft, man. Like, it, you know, both sides. Polo Timmy. I, yeah, Polo Timmy. Timmy. <laughs> offensive line, defensive line, they are soft. You know, you look at, you know, Gregory Rousseau, who's now who now plays for the, the Buffalo Bills. He's ten times more physical in the NFL than he was in college, and those guys, you know, like he's playing a bunch of grown men. He's not playing some boys and some men at Miami. It, it's just, you know, <laughs> it's just crazy that, um, you know, guys are getting more physical as they leave Miami than when they're at Miami. So I think that, you know, from that aspect, I think Miami's going in the right direction. Um, but I think this Miami team still has some work to do. But um, you know, they could be one of those teams that have, you know, somewhat of instant success, not in the fact that they go undefeated, but they could be 11 and two pretty easy in that ACC conference. Jace, I, you know, you and Hampton also mentioned, um, you know, a hire that I thought was you know phenomenal. I think that, you know, hiring, um, Jeff Levy to be the offense coordinator at Oklahoma is probably more of a home run hire than hiring Brent Venables to be the head coach mm. because of the fact that, you know, Brent Venables, you kind of know what you're going to get out of him, but not really. And the fact that he's going to be a great defensive coordinator, Oklahoma's defense is going to be legit. You know, it might not be this year. It might take a year or two to get some guys in there. But you don't know what kind of coach he's going to be during that first game because it, it you know, at Clemson, he's the hoorah, you know, always getting angry, yelling all the time kind of coach. And, you know, that might be fine. That might just be the coach that he is. But you don't know what kind of head coach he's going to be because he's been a coordinator for so so long and has passed up so many other opportunities uh, to be a head coach. So you kind of you know, have to wonder, you know, maybe the motivation behind it, like you know, was were other jobs just not good enough, or was he just content with where he was? Um, that that's kind of a big question I have. But um, then Jeff Lebby being the offensive coordinator, I think that. You know, Jeff Lebby is a guy that people talked about being a potential head coach candidate for a lot of mm. these open positions. And he leaves a place at Old Miss where he did a great job and was the offensive coordinator. But now I think he takes a better step going to Oklahoma because now he is a head, he's the head coach of that offense. You know, he wasn't able to get the head coaching job at all these other places, but Lane Kiffin was always going to get the credit for the, you know, the offenses out of Old Miss. And so I think that Jeff Lebby's trying to, you know, create his own path and forge his own way, um, you know, going to Oklahoma. And so I think that's a great hire for Oklahoma. I think that, you know, really prepares them for this SEC, you know, merger that they're going to go through in the next couple of years because, you know, I, I agree with you all completely in the fact that I think that Brent Venables and uh, that, you know, kind of culture fits the SEC better than Lincoln Riley did. You know, I, you know, 10 years ago, Lincoln Riley probably would have been successful in the SEC, but, you know, you see the fact now that, you know, every school has a good offense. I mean, you take away the the teams that are you know two and seven and uh, you know, out of there, they don't have a good team at all. But you look at it, the teams that are successful. You know, LSU the year they won the Dallas championship, great offense. Obviously, they had a great defense, but that offense what was you know the difference maker. You know, Alabama last year and and this year, the offense is the difference maker. You know, defense keeps you in games, but offense is what wins you those games. And so, uh, you know. For Brent Venables, you know, I, I give that probably like a an a, a B plus A minus higher, but getting Jeff Levy as the offense coordinator is uh you know A plus plus one hundred percent. And uh, th this is the last guy I'll talk about, Hampton. I, I know you mentioned that uh, Dabo Sweeney uh, hasn't lost a you know 
uh, a coordinator, you know, since Chad Morris, you're forgetting about a uh, an important guy in there, and that's guy that's guy uh, Jeff Scott, who was the co-offense coordinator uh, with Tony Elliott uh, the past few years, and he went to South Florida two years ago. And let me just tell you about his record. It's awful. <laughs> in two years, Jeff Scott is three and eighteen. Come on. He has won three games. Come on. Two of those games are against FCS programs. The only team that he's Chattanooga. The he only, wins the ones he should, Graham. Come on, the, man. The only the only team he beat that was um, you know, an FBS program was uh, you know, this past year. And that was Temple. And uh <laughs> Temple's in pretty rough shape now. But besides that, he, he's shown an, you know a complete inability to play with you know just average teams. You know, like we we don't necessarily think that you know the American Conference is loaded. If you take away you know this year Houston and Cincinnati, they are a very average group of five conference. I mean, you could you know you could put them up you know against anybody, and they you know probably you know, get smashed. So mm-hmm. um, if I'm Virginia, you know Tony Elliott might look like the right guy, but you got to look at the predecessors. You got to look at everything else that's going on. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if he's anything like Jeff Scott, I don't want him anywhere near my football program. How do, and yeah. just, just the last thing, if you're three and 18 after two years, how do you have a job? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, Hampton, I, I want to ask you two quick questions and okay. uh, I think you can answer them quickly. I, I, I made them that way. So, when we're talking about, I mean, we're talking about Cristobal coming in, but I want to talk about a little bit more from a macro level. Cristobal gets this job at Miami. Do you think, and I got two, so this is my first one. Do you think that this firing of Manny Diaz was too soon? He was only there for three seasons. Did, did you see enough, or do you feel like it was too soon? I think it was a little too soon um, because this past year, you know, he dealt with injuries. De'Eric King gets hurt. Yeah. Then on the back half of the year, um, yeah, they probably lost some that they shouldn't, but they got a stud freshman quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke, um, who was, you know, really came on, really played well, and they played for him. They played hard for yeah. him. I think um, the final eight games, like five or six of them, were one score games. Thanks. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like they were just getting embarrassed week to week. Um, so I think they gave up a little too soon, especially considering last year they went 10 and 2, I think. Um, or I mean, they had double-digit wins and played really well, had some NFL talent. Recruiting wasn't terrible. Um, now, I do think Mario is an upgrade, but I think it was a little too soon. What's your second question? So so the, the second one is actually about uh, Cristobal. Hampton, what's wrong with Oregon? I keep hearing that they have money, but they keep losing head coaches. And, and I feel like they've done a good job of kind of like the next man up mentality. But I know that – I mean, it seemed like Cristobal was kind of like – I don't really want to go anywhere, but there's more talent in South Florida. But, like, I was waiting for Oregon to kind of say, like, kind of like Michigan State did this year, where they said, we have our guy, and he's not mm-hmm. going to just walk out of the door to an athletic program that doesn't even have an athletic director right now and hasn't fired their coach. What's – I mean, you might not have the best beat on – because since it's so West Coast, mm-hmm. but what, what is Oregon lacking when it comes to keeping these head coaches that honestly – I mean – wasn't Willie Taggart there before Cristobal? Isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. I yes, believe I mean, so. Yeah. And I mean, I know that Willie Taggart, but I mean, they lost him to Florida State. They keep going to the Florida. So 
What mm-hmm. do you think? What's Oregon got to do to – Well, I mean, what are they lacking? I guess that's the best question to ask, and they can fix it how they, however they want to. Location, location, location. I mean, Chase, where would you rather live? Would you rather live in Eugene, Oregon, or Miami, Florida, or Tallahassee, Florida? I think that plays a role in it. I think the location of not only geographically, but also the conference you're in. I think the Pac-12 kind of has a negative – um, connotation with it. It's kind of looked as the least of all the conferences. Like the ACC is definitely a more respected, a more revered conference. And I think that plays a part in it. Um, Oregon has, like you said, all the resources, all the facilities that money can buy. So I think it's got to be something along those lines. It's not like they can't recruit either because Mario was recruiting really well there. He got Kayvon mm-hmm. Thibodeau there. He got Noah Sewell there. He got uh, Justin Flo, uh, Justin Her. I mean Justin Herbert um, from Oregon. So, from Oregon, yeah. So <laughs> I, you know, I think um, all those factors kind of, um, you know, played a part in that. You got anything else on that, or am I good to uh, wrap it up? No, I, mean, Anthony, I, I think I'm sorry. I was going to say that I was good. I think that. Uh, yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense. Maybe maybe they'll mm-hmm. hey maybe they just pick their campus up and move it over somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah Hampton, well, if only yeah. if that it were that simple. Go uh-huh. ahead, Graham, real quick. <laughs> yeah, I know Hampton. I, I agree with you there. Um, you know, the Miami job it is definitely going to be easier to recruit because you're just going to have to walk down the street. You're not going to have to like you know, get on a plane to go find guys to play football. Um, well, and, and I think that you know Mario Cristobal is a, you know, a really good recruiter, but. I also think you got to, you know, point out the obvious in that the reason why he was getting such good prospects has to be because like the utter incompetence of the California schools recruiting. I mean, USC, UCLA, Stanford. I mean, none of those teams have been good the past, you know, five Mm -hmm. years. So, uh, I mean, Oregon was the only program out there that even gave you a chance to win. And so I think that was a big pull for, you know, these players out of California to go to Oregon uh, for Cristobal. I think that I definitely think that's part of it, but also here's the thing about Mario, and I'm going to give my, I'm going to wrap it up with my quick thoughts on the fit in Miami, what I think it means uh, for the college football landscape. But when he was at Alabama, Saban pretty much gave him the entire recruiting department. He was kind of the head man. He was the um, the point guy because he is that good of a recruiter. Uh, Mario is really personable relates well to players because he was a former player. Um, And so I think, honestly, it's between him and Tosh Lupoy um, as far as, like, the two best recruiters under Nick Saban that he's ever had. Um, I think he's that caliber of recruiter. And I think going to Miami in that talent-rich state, I think he's going to keep some of those guys that have been going to Alabama. I mean, Alabama's had that pipeline – um, to South Florida, and a lot of that was due to Mario um, that got established. I think he's going to keep some of those guys home. I think that was an attractive prospect for the Miami brass to look at him and say, hey, you know Jerry Judy? You know Calvin Ridley? You know Amari Cooper? Alabama stole them from our backyard. And with Mario, we've got a shot to keep him home. Um, there, I mean, Dallas Turner, who's been a stud freshman, he's from um, South Florida. Um, I mean, there you wouldn't believe how many players Nick Saban has hauled out of South Florida. And I think um, keeping 
them there with his recruiting ability is going to be paramount to his success along with, and this is more to his coaching um, ability because I'm not worried about his ability to recruit. I think he's proven, he has a proven track record of doing that. But I'm a little concerned about his ability to coach, and this is what I mean by that. He's a very good coach, but there's a trend with his Oregon teams. They start out strong, and then middle to end of the year, man, they end up falling apart. Yeah. I mean, they fell apart against Utah. They got smashed a couple years ago. They're, you know, with Justin Herbert, who is really good in the NFL right now, um, one a top 10, top 15 quarterback. He had him on his roster. They had a chance to get in the playoff, and he loses to Arizona State, a 6-5 and five mm-hmm. Arizona mm-hmm. State team. Shout right? out Herm Edwards. Shout out Herm Edwards. Shout out Jane Daniels. Long-time listener to the show. Yeah, a long-time listener. And I think this is a recurring problem with him. And I think he, you know, his teams are very physical against teams with inferior talent. But when yeah. he goes head-to-head with, like, I think Utah under Kyle Whittingham has established that type of physicality, and they have similar dudes to Oregon, Oregon couldn't just push them around. And I think the scheme that he was running, I mean, Justin Herbert, the reason I think a lot of evaluators didn't have him go in number one in the draft was because of the scheme that Oregon was implementing. I mean, I don't think they took great advantage of his strengths of throwing the ball downfield. Um, I think it's kind of a um, simplistic little scheme. Or not, that sounds bad. Simplistic scheme um, that doesn't really develop and advance the quarterback. So this is what he should do to fix that. Go get Joe Brady, who just got fired from the Carolina Panthers. If you pair Joe Brady in Miami with Tyler Van Dyke, Miami might make some noise next year in the ACC because we saw what Joe Brady did for Joe Burrow in his career. I think he could do the same for that kid because, like I said, he's very talented, and Mario's going to get some of those guys in there, some difference makers. And I think long-term, if he makes the right coaching hires, he's going to have – a ton of success, but it's all about his assistance and getting some of those issues that he had at Oregon corrected. So um, good job by Miami of getting your guy. Terrible job of how you handled it because it was very classless and unprofessional. Um, and I don't care how, what my Manny Diaz did to Temple. Um, you have kids and you have other coaches representing your university trying to get kids to go there and selling parents about how great a place Miami is you know, is for their child after what they just did. I wouldn't send my child to Miami. So um, those are our thoughts on the Miami hire Mario Cristobal and a few other coaching nuggets. But uh, guys, let's move on and talk a little bit about the new year six. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, um, but I just want to, I want to start with you, Graham, since I uh, began with Chase on the last topic. What is the one New Year's Six matchup other than the two playoff games, which I'm sure we'll cover. We covered a little last night and we'll cover in later shows in the future. What is the one matchup that really intrigues you and that you're paying attention to as we get um, closer to the end of the year? Yeah, I I think there's several, you know, obviously every New Year's Day, there's going to be good matchups, but the one that catches my eye has to be Notre Dame and Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl. And it's not for the fact that either of these teams, uh, you know, are you know, 
uber super duper talented and left out when they you know should have been in the playoff. It's the fact that Notre Dame has a new head coach in Marcus Freeman, and the players seem to really like him. You know, so we're like, are they going to come to play in the fact knowing that, you know, you know Brian Kelly left us, so we're going to go out here and show that we want to play for Marcus Freeman and just really rub this in Brian Kelly's face. Um, and, and so I think Notre Dame's going to come out hot. I, I think they're going to really come to play. Um, you know, Kyle, I know you're excited about this, uh, you know, Notre Dame hire with Marcus Freeman. But on the other side with Oklahoma State, they're coming off like probably one of the toughest losses you could ever imagine. I mean, literally inches short of being Big 12 champions, you know, making it into the college football playoff. And then your defensive coordinator for a really good defense leaves to go to Ohio State. And so if you're Oklahoma State, what is your, you know, mentality going to be for this game? Like, man, we, we just missed out. So we got to prove them wrong, or is it we just missed out? So who who cares? You know, now the game doesn't matter. So uh, to me, I think this is so intriguing because it, you could get, you know, any type of outcome out of this. Notre Dame can really come to play uh, because of the new head coach. Oklahoma State can really come to play to show the college football playoff committee that they should have been in. Um, but we could see the opposite, and neither of these teams really want to come to play because they were just left out. Um, and sitting, you know, not at home, but they're kind of sitting on the sideline for the college football playoff. So, uh, to me, I think it's the Fiesta Bowl that kind of gets catches my attention for those New Year's uh, six bowl games. Chase, Graham, what about you, man? Yeah, Graham, I, I'm excited for that game too. I think that there's a lot to prove if you've got a like a like the Freeman guy, man. This is his first shot. They're gonna come out there and play for him, but then you know, you want to think about Mike Gundy. And Graham, isn't he sitting there trying to get a new contract? Is that in that right? This is the last True. Year of his contract. Absolutely. Yeah, really two ends, two, two ends of the spectrum. And I mean, I think Oklahoma State kind of wanted him kind of they, they weren't re-signing for a reason. And now I wonder if they're kind of sitting there saying, Well, man, what, what are we supposed to do? And they just lost their DC. Isn't that right? He just went to uh where did he go? Ohio State. Ohio State. Ohio State. Big hire by them. Mm-hmm. I think they nailed that one. That was a really good move. So interesting. It, it's it's got. It, I think that this is the time of the season where that stuff starts to matter. And just to kind of stay on, man, like my pick is the Sugar Bowl, and I obviously biased because of Baylor. But guys, I mean, I I, I want to just set this up for a second and talk about how big this game is for both of these programs. I mean. Old Miss has not been at this level in a while. Like they they've been good, but like this New Year's six, I mean, it seems to have always been Alabama and Georgia, sometimes Florida, but you just hadn't seen Ole Miss in this situation in a really long time. And and I'm I think if you're an Ole Miss fan, you're really excited about hey, you got your guy at head coach. Um, I think I think that you gotta be really excited if you're an Ole Miss fan. Um, that's why I think that, man, like this. Even though that the playoff is what everybody's looking at, man, there's some of these good matchups. Of this, a win in the Sugar Bowl for Ole Miss can take that, like take this Ole Miss team to that next level. Of we 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 finished it off with a W, and I think that that's what Baylor's sitting in in the same situation. I don't. What a fantastic game against Oklahoma State to win the Big Twelve championship, but man, I mean, how is that game even close if if the opposing quarterback? For Oklahoma State throws four interceptions and no touchdowns, but Oklahoma State still has a chance to win it. Like at the very end, I mean, w- w- I need to see some offensive explosion 
out of Baylor, but not just in the first half, in the second half too. But I think this is a fun matchup because you're getting Ole Miss with uh, Matt Corral. If he, if he ends up playing, I think that he's going to – If I think he's planning on playing, but I think that he'll be quick to – if he gets a little bit banged up, I think he'll be quick to sit down. But uh, they're going to have a good offense, and Baylor's going to have a good defense. So it's going to be a fun matchup to see how those two – uh, go together. Aranda's not scared of the SEC. He's been there. He's won a national championship through there. Um, so I'm excited. Same place. Same, yeah, same place. Um, so I think this is a really fun game, and I think that this is obvious that, that a lot of people are going to tune into this game. But for Baylor, I think that it would be massive for your program to win this game. But this is where I'm going to pass it off to you, Hampton, and, and, and I want to hear what, you, what your thoughts are on the, the bowl game that you're the most excited about. Well, I would let, let me let me. Sorry, I I no, said that up wrong. I was gonna say if Baylor if Baylor wins, it's massive for our program. Mm-hmm. But but hear, hear hear me out. As a Baylor fan, I'm just saying if you were to lose this game, I think that Ole Miss is kind of a year ahead of us. Like we were two and seven last year, and now mm-hmm. we just won the Big Twelve. There might not there might be a little bit of like an itch to scratch if you lose this game. If you if you just get straight up get beat. I think that if you if you win this game, that TCU loss kind of doesn't really matter as much. You kind of forget about it. Mm-hmm. But if you lose to TCU and then you lose in the Sugar Bowl, I think that Iran is saying, hey, look, we still got work to do, and we're still not done yet. But mm-hmm. Iran has been betting on himself this whole time. He bet on himself during the, uh, the, the Big 12 championship, hadn't signed an extension. So if he walks into the Sugar Bowl and wins it too um, – I'm going to be really interested to see what kind of payday he has coming his way. But it's going to be a fantastic matchup, really exciting, a lot of things to look forward to on this day. And that leads me to Hampton. What game are you the most excited about? Well, I totally agree with your analysis and assessment on what a win would mean for either program. I think the loser, I don't think it affects either one of them in a negative way, really, because I think both are good teams. Both have had great seasons, and someone's got to lose. But I don't think it – puts a dampener on um, the incredible year that uh, both teams have had. But honestly, y'all probably took my two more most intriguing matchups. <laughs> um, I think Notre Dame against Oklahoma State is going to be really fun. Uh, Jack Cohn um, and Kyron Williams and Michael Mayer, you know, versus Spencer Williams and um, – or not Williams, Spencer uh, Sanders, I think is his name. Yeah, um, and that so. Oklahoma State defense, so that's going to be fun. And then um, Ole Miss Baylor, I mean, both really good football teams. Matt Corral's final game um, in the baby powder blue. So that's going to be um, interesting to watch. I Honestly, I think Ohio State and Utah is going to be a fun, fun game. And the reason I think that is Ohio State's got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder with how they went out to Michigan. Uh, they did not play well in that game. C.J. Stroud coming out today saying, oh, we played in the cold. Oh, we were playing a little sick and kind of making all these excuses. But I think they want to go out the right way, um, send, you know, Alave and Garrett Wilson um, out, you know, as winners. And then they're going up against the Utah team who's Pac-12 champions who, you know, embarrassed Oregon twice this year. It's a really good football team. They can run the ball. Uh, their quarterback's pretty good. He's pretty efficient. Um, and it's in the granddaddy of them all. It's in the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day. I mean, come on. How can you not get excited about that? So that would be um, my matchup um, that I'm really interested in. And, Graham, 
really quickly, like a minute or less, because we got to move on. What do you want to say about the Peach Bowl? Yeah. So the Peach Bowl to me is the battle of two like extinguished fires. And the fact that Michigan State was at the highest of highs earlier in the year, and they've really fallen off. I mean, you've kind of just not even heard about them in the conversation. And Pitt coming off, you know, winning the ACC championship, losing their offensive coordinator, he resigns and, you know, becomes the offensive coordinator at Nebraska. So, like, talk about, like, a, just a, you know, a big changeup, like a, you know, just really putting the fire out that you just gained with a, a big year. To me, that one's not as fun to watch because of that. Like, you're watching two teams that have, like, honestly been ha- – you know, has-beens. Mm-hmm. It's like they've already had their best part of the, their seasons. Yeah, no, great point, man. Great point. And good talk on a little bit of bowl action. Um, that'll be coming up in about three weeks. And before we get out of here, let's turn to some listener questions. First time we've done this on the show. Um, I hope we can make it a little bit more of a regular – occurrence because it's always good to hear from people who uh, listen regularly and are engaged with the show. Um, So we've got two questions, but I'm going to combine them because they're kind of talking about the same thing. So from our guy, Thomas, who came on last night, did a fantastic job. If you haven't listened to that pod yet, you know, make sure you go and listen to it. He provides a lot of great insight. Um, he asked, um, who do we think finishes number one in the recruiting rankings when all is said and done this year? And while we're recording the show, Mikey B-Ball on Twitter asked, um, or he asked, but it kind of has a statement along with it. Um, he says, if I can find the doggone tweet. Oh, here we go. He said, um, as he exclaims. A Bama, <laughs> he declares. Um, he said, as a Bama fan, I'm getting lit, a little worried, just a little. The Aggies recruiting class, talking about Texas A&M this year, looks unreal. We had a great class last year, but Jimbo has been gaining steam for a few near few years now. Should we be worried? Chase, I'm going to kick it to you. Can you answer both questions for me? Who do you think finishes the top, the recruiting rankings, and as an Alabama fan, like Mikey is, should they be worried about A&M? Mikey, I, I think that, that your concern and worry, I think, is valid. Um, I, I think that to answer both these questions, I think that Alabama ends up number one. I think that they figure out how to do – because sometimes the recruiting rankings more depends on how many recruits you have come in. And I think that we all know how much it means to, at the end of the year, have the number one national ranking next to your uh, class that you bring in. For that reason, I feel like like Saban knows how to move scholarships around and stuff like that. They'll make room. Um, you're going to see this early signing period come and go. There'll still be a few guys uh, floating around. But uh, for the most part, this is going to sure everything up. But when it comes to your concern for Texas A&M, Fellas, there's always, and Hampton, me and you've always talked about this, so I don't mind going to you next because this is really your world. There's always a state that Alabama raids. I think that this year it's probably LSU. I mean, I'm sorry, it's probably Louisiana because LSU's lost their head coach. But I think that Texas is getting them a head coach in there who can really recruit Texas. And if you see all of AM's recruits, they're all kind of from around that Houston area. Mm-hmm. Um, you're telling these kids that that all their family can can drive up and be back home and sleep in their own bed in the same night. I mean, it, 
that sells, guys. And and I think that that some of these recruits that maybe we were able to get from uh, the Houston area specifically, um, Jimbo's getting, man, there's a ton of talent in that massive city of Houston. So uh, I think you should be worried. I think that you're still going to see Alabama, Georgia, but you're going to see A&M up there with the Ohio States and the Clemsons and stuff like that. Hampton, what, what do you think? Who, who thinks going to end up number one? And, I mean, did anything I say not really resonate with how you feel about A&M and their current ranking? I, I disagree um, a little bit, but not not entirely. I think um, I'll answer the first question as uh, to who I think finishes atop the recruiting rankings, and I believe it is going to be Texas A&M. They're third right now on 247. They're number one on the on three consensus board. Shout out Jimmy Stein. And I'm going to just read a couple of their commitments right now. They've got Walter Nolan, defense nice. lineman, um, number one player in the number two player in the nation, number six player in the nation, Evan Stewart, um, who um, is a great receiver. Te- he's from Texas. Uh, Gabriel Brownlow D- Dindy, who recently flipped from Oklahoma, so that was a big pull by them. Connor Wingman is a quarterback who um, he's second nationally um, in, at his position. Um, he's a five star. Uh, they've got Bryce Anderson, Chris Marshall. They've got a lot of dudes coming in, and there's no doubt about it. And I think they're going to end up with Denver Harris, who's a great cornerback um, out of the state of Texas, who I know Alabama was in on at one point um, and heavily in on. Um, he was favored to go to Alabama earlier in the cycle. So I think they're going to get him. There's a chance they get Anthony Lucas out of Arizona, who's another stud defensive lineman. Um, there are a couple other, you know, five stars that they're in on. So they're putting together a great class. There's no doubt about it. Jimbo's always been a good recruiter. He did it at Florida State, and he's doing it here with more resources and more money, um, you know, put behind him from those Texas A&M boosters. But the reason I say I disagree with you a little bit, Chase, is – I think as an Alabama fan, it's something you should take note of. I would not be worried, and this is why. I think when Kevin Sumlin um, recruit or was the head coach at Texas A&M, he recruited very well too. Now, maybe not to the level that A&M is recruiting this cycle, but A&M had more talent on their roster this year um, than they've had in years past and went eight and four. I know they beat Alabama, um, and I know that's a big notch in their cap, but to have the talent that they did, especially along the defensive line with DeMarvin Leal and McKinley Jackson and Bobby Brown and um, the Clemens outside linebacker, they have Shamar Turner, who's a five-star um, that was sought after by every program in the country. To have all that and finish eight and four, I think it's a bit concerning as um, a Texas A&M fan. I know their quarterback got hurt, but before he before he went down, I didn't see anything from him that just blew me away. Um, I mean, before he went down, they were in a tight game with Colorado. They didn't come out and play well in their opener against um, an FCS opponent or a lower-tier FBS um, team. So I think they're going to be talented, but – if they don't get the quarterback, which they might have in Connor Wingman, I don't know. I hadn't watched his tape. I wouldn't be worried as an Alabama fan because as long as the little man 
also known as Nick Saban, is in the Malmore Athletic Complex. I'm not going to be worried about any team that has a good recruiting gear. I mean, Georgia has been recruiting very well, um, and Nick Saban has fared well against them. And I think, um, you know, Jimbo is building a good team there. But I still, you know, I'm not, as an Alabama fan, I'm not worried. But I do think they're going to finish atop the rankings for 2022. Graham, wrap us on up, man. What do you what do you make of Chase and I's comments, and who do you think will finish atop of the uh, 2022 recruiting rankings? Yeah, I think I'm kind of on, on board with both of you in the fact that I think that A&M is probably going to end up with the number one class this year. And to me, I think that's, you know, for the the reason that, you know, Oklahoma is a big recruiter of the te- you know, of everything Texas. You know, that that's where they get most of their players from. And so, you know, there's a lot of players in Texas, but right now there's a you know, like the void was there when Lincoln Riley left. Like there was a lot of players, you know, Hampton, like I said, there's one guy, you know, a defensive lineman that, you know, went from you know Oklahoma to Texas AM. Uh, commitment-wise, and so I think that that is you know part of why their their class is so good. You know, Jimbo is a great recruiter, um, but right now there's you know the past two weeks there was a void, uh, you know, a, a big void in Oklahoma that is you know, really recruits Texas you know, really hard and those uh, you know elite recruits. There was a void there, so these guys were having to figure out okay, I, I've got to find somewhere else to go, and so that's why they are you know committing to places like Texas. Uh, Texas A&M and so I think that that's part of the reason why that's not you know the only reason why Texas A&M has a good class um, but to me I also think uh, another reason and the fact that you know Alabama you know this you know this recruiting cycle they're probably going to go after a uh, you know a, a transfer or a transfer or two you know or maybe more than that but Texas A&M hey, prob- go ahead hint more than more than that more than yeah. that yeah, and I was just I was just trying to hit on the low number. Like they're just going to get a few guys mm-hmm. from the transfer portal at least. Well, Texas A&M might try to, but you know, from Jimbo's standards, he's not really a transfer kind of uh, you know commitment expert. You know, I think last year they only had one transfer, and it was uh, like an offensive lineman from like Tennessee. So um, you know, Jimbo really likes to build through the high school ranks, and so he likes to bring young guys in to try and develop them, and so that that opens up more scholarship you know opportunities for high school players. Whereas Alabama is going to use up you know two, three, five of their you know scholarships for this cycle on transfer guys. So to me, I think that's uh, two reasons why I think that Texas A&M will have uh, the best class. And um, Hampton, there's a, a guy that you did mention that Texas A&M is favored to get. It's a five-star linebacker by the name of Harold Perkins from Cypress, Texas. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's he's uh, you know predicted to go to Texas A&M. So that's another five-star you can add to the list. So um, th- that, kinda, that might take him over the edge with Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M all really close in that. Um, you know, and, you know, coming down to the wire, like who's going to win the battle for uh, December the 20th or whatever the signing day is. Um, 15th. 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 Yes, okay. Sir. Yeah. Anyway, um, just Christmas present early trying to give to our, our listeners. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, coming down to the wire, what team pulls ahead and what team backtracks. Does Georgia take a step back because of their performance in the SEC championship? Does you know Alabama take a boost because of their performance at the SEC championship? Does Texas A and M you know do they take the you know take the step up because of the void and uh, you know 
other you know schools using you know the transfer portal to take advantage of that talent. It'll be interesting to watch for sure. And uh, we all know one thing is that you know recruiting rankings they are important. Recruits make up the future of your team, mm-hmm. and it it all you know kind of comes down to whether people believe in what you're building. And so, as of right now, it looks like people believe in Texas A and M, people believe in Georgia, and people believe in Alabama. And those yeah. are the three schools that are in the running for the number one class at the end of the year. Absolutely, Graham. And my final point. Recruiting matters. Recruiting is the lifeblood of a program. But it does not matter if you recruit well and do not develop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think Jimbo, I mean, I think Jimbo has developed players. I'm not saying he hadn't. I don't think he's an elite developer at this point um, due to, you know, the talent he accumulated at Florida State and, you know, really only had – um, that he caught that lightning in a bottle with Jameis that one year. But other than that, he was, you know, 10 wins did great, but or did well in that conference, but he didn't, he wasn't championship after championship after championship. Same thing with Kirby. Kirby's recruited really well, but he, there are many players on that roster, like a Nolan Smith, like I mentioned yesterday, who is kind of the same player he was as a freshman. He hadn't really progressed, whereas Alabama, um, and Alabama's got guys that hadn't developed and hadn't panned out. I'm not saying big baby that they're Davis. perfect at it. Uh, big Ben, baby. Um, yeah, <laughs> yes, sir. Um, well, he finally developed and blossomed in his sixth year at Texas. But, um, you know, like a Will Anderson, a Dallas Turner, um, those two cats really developed. Um, they were great recruits, but they've been coached up and um, have turned into really good college players. And that – I think is sometimes what is lost in recruiting. They go in hand in hand, get the players there, but when they're there, develop them. And then you will see your team prosper. But with that guys, I think we're good to wrap up the show and get on up out of here. But thank you so much for joining us. And do y'all have any final words really quick before we get on out of here? Final thought. It's not the players who sit out of the bowl games that ruin the bowl games. Now the playoff is here. It's all the assistant coaches that move before the mm-hmm. bowl games are played that ruin the uh, ruin like kind of the bowl season and make only the playoff matter. Put it on the assistant coaches that leave. Tell what you got. Great Absolutely. Point. Chase, to add to that point, you know, Troy hired John Summerall. The guy's going to coach for Kentucky uh, in their bowl game. So a guy that's committed to seeing things through is, uh, you know, something you like. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you never know. It, it, the bowl games are hard to predict because it's in the fact that you don't know who's going to come to play and you don't know who's going to sit out. And so, uh, you know, bowl games are always fun to watch. Recruiting rankings mm-hmm. are always fun to watch. And it's always fun to break it down with you guys. Absolutely, man. And shout out to Jeff Levy as well for um, sticking with Ole Miss for that Sugar Bowl. He's going to be coaching in that game, and that will be his final game as a Rebel assistant coach. And final recruiting note, uh, shout out to Arkansas for getting a great pickup in Jaden Hazelwood uh, mm-hmm. from the transfer portal, getting – him from Oklahoma, big get for Sam Pittman and that staff. I uh, just wanted to give a quick note on that, and that will do it for another episode of the Pigskin Cafe. Thank you so much for listening each and every week. We truly appreciate it. If this is your first time listening, be sure to go follow us on social media on our Twitter and Instagram for up-to-date show times, for an ability to get your question answered on the show like we had tonight. Um, got a lot of great content over there. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcast and go follow play action pools. Who has been 
hosting our college football and NFL pick them all year. Support all the great work they're doing. And we will be back hopefully next week with a recruiting special right before National Signing Day. Down to the wire updates uh, that you won't hear anywhere else. But the Pigskin Cafe is going to be closed for now. But until next time, chew on that.